Welcome to the Why God Why podcast brought to you by Browncroft Community Church. My name is Peter Engler and I am the Adult Ministries Director. I'm here with our producer, Dylan Carnival, and then also friend and co-host, John Amayo, the New York State Crew Director. Why God Why is a podcast where we ask the 21st century questions about God that you never thought you could. Today, we have a remarkable guest. His name is Paul Rankin. He's one of the leaders within Celebrate Recovery at Browncroft, and he's also, by day, a financial planner. And our question is, why am I so addicted? John. Wow. Why are you so addicted? Peter. Well, I thought you were going to answer oh, yeah, that yeah, first. Yeah, no, no. Yeah, no, man, I feel like this is such a pertinent question because there's so much addiction right now throughout all of our society. Like, and 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 we can look at it I think the obvious ways that when we think about this, we probably think of it in terms of maybe the opioid addiction. Big deal. That's huge. I mean, it's taken a lot of people out right now. Um, I mean, maybe you think uh, of something really common like alcoholism, huge in our society right now. I mean, people are massively addicted to alcohol right now. And, and so I think some, in some ways we can categorize those things and go, okay, that goes in the bad box, right? Those are bad addictions. And and I affirm that. we Those are bad things. But I think even deeper than that, there are some addictions that I, I would say are socially acceptable addictions. So so we can, a lot of us might go, well, I'm not addicted to anything. I don't, I'm not an alcoholic or I, I don't use drugs. But in reality, a lot of people that I meet are addicted to work or they're addicted to other people's approval or whatever. You fill in the blank. They're, they're, they're addicted to getting great grades. You know, there's things that are socially acceptable that, that can be just as addictive as other things. So I, I'm looking forward to this conversation because I think it applies to everybody. If you tuned this in and go, well, I'm not sure if this applies to me, I would say, yes, it applies to even you out there. So Peter, you. Well, and I think about our guest and, you know, I've personally gotten to know Paul in a very powerful way just to hear his story. And I think sometimes what we do with stories about addic addiction or any other of those types of topics like depression or anxiety, we immediately say it can never happen to us. But one of the things I love about Paul and I'd encourage all of our listeners is to be able to ask the question like, what's true of Paul's story that's true of me. And whenever I leave a conversation with Paul, I'm challenged to say, where am I addicted? Where am I, you know, spending time? So without further ado, Paul Rankin, welcome to the Why God Why podcast. Thank you guys. It's such an honor to be here and uh, be a part of this and be a part of a church that prioritizes these types of questions, you know, like how do we overcome these types of things? It's such a great honor to be here. Thank you guys. Paul, you are not someone that likes pleasantries, and I don't... I'm not that guy. <laughs> You're not that guy. I'm pretty direct. Yeah. You don't like small talk? Yeah. No, man. I, I like being about 20,000 feet beneath the sea, understanding, like, what is what is going on in this person's life? What is making them tick? I'm that type of guy. So let's get into it. Tell us your story and uh, about addiction and just, you know, kind of why, why you're here. Well, I, I, one of the guys that really helped me understand... Um, 
addiction as a whole was his name is John Bradshaw. He wrote a bunch of great books, you know, The Family. He wrote um, Healing the Shame That Binds You. He wrote um, uh, Reclaiming Virtue. So many great books. But um, for me, addiction is defined as a mood-altering disorder or compulsion that has life-damaging consequences. So, for example, if you're vacuum cleaning 16 hours a day, right, are you taking care of your kids and your family and all the rest of it? Like there's so many different things that we can get stuck in. And I think that for me, you know, this guy, John Bradshaw, after being around about a hundred thousand addicts personally and having a PBS special go out to millions of people, um, he said that there is one true fact and one defining thing. And that is that every single one of those people he sat with or letters that were written to him, he found that they all had something in their childhood that was unresolved. Because if you think about addiction, what is it really kind of like? A two-year-old, right? I want what I want. I don't care about the consequences. Period. End of story. I want what I want. Don't, I don't care if I'm going to destroy my family. I don't care about if I'm going to hurt people I love and care about, right? And so for me, with my addiction story, I had to go back to my roots and growing up and, and started looking at that. And I, I think that... Um, you know, for me, I was very abused growing up. I mean, um, a lot of physical violence. I probably had 15 to 20 concussions from my mother by the time I was 18. And, um, you know, all of the, those roots in my own addiction story goes directly back to there. And working through these challenges, you know, and I, I think that there's a thing about everybody's story where what we want to do is we want to make it, um, we want to make it look as polished as it can be. Oh, I had a great life. Mm-hmm. I had no issues, you know, and this, that, and the other thing. And I think that like, it's stunning how powerful like approval addiction, you know, and how powerful these other different things, perfectionism in, from, from our parents or getting the message, whether it's conscious or subconscious, that we're never enough, you know, that we don't have what it takes. And I think that for me, um, you know, a lot of violence growing up, my dad was pretty checked out, you know, he, um, He's working all the time, and um, I felt pretty neglected by my father, and my mom was a rageaholic, and, um, you know, I I think that the big thing to remember here is that everybody has a story, and so one of the big problems when you start talking addiction in people's stories is people get afraid, like, oh, you're judging somebody, or I'm trying to tear them down or something, and for me, it's about telling the truth, because if you don't tell the truth, you don't get free, and so... um, I think that as time progressed in my life and I started going back there and looking at these things and stopped idolizing my parents for the great things that they were, I had to start also dealing with the challenges that came with my history. And I mean, when I got into um, celibate recovery, I started counting my addictions and I probably, you know, power addiction, approval addiction, control addiction. I had, um, you know, lust addiction going on in my life, which I think that is one of the, you know, most not talked about thing in the Christian circles. I mean, the number one day in America for porn to be watched is Sunday. Mm. It's not because the world's watching any more porn. You know what I mean? It's because people, you know, feel convicted and then begin into the cycle of addiction, um, which is there's an act out an act in cycle that I want to talk about later in the podcast when I get through my story. Um, but what I found is that the the pain and the unresolved emotional damage in my life is what causes me to act out in an addictive cycle. Mm. And um, for me, the 
like looking back at how many times, I mean, my mo- the earliest data I have on being beat by my mother is about three months old. Wow. My aunt walked in on my mother shaking me and screaming at me in the middle of the night. So I, I understand, you know, where hell is. I grew up there and um, I, I know what it's like to feel like you have no way out. I've been there. I've definitely, um, you know, seen, seen the top of buildings, man. I've seen, had the barrel of a shotgun in my mouth. I mean, I, I understand what it takes to get somebody there. And for me with my addictions, it, it certainly was all about mood altering my reality. How do I escape? How do I escape? And it, it, it didn't matter what was that thing to make me escape, whether it's playing guitar and leaving and going out and playing in the cornfields or playing guitar in like the middle of winter and negative 20 degrees out in the, you know, the garage with no heat. My life became all about escaping. And then underneath that is a whole life of isolation where, you know, it, the, the, the theme runs in your brain. If anyone knew what I was dealing with or going through, right, no one would ever accept me. So I got to hide it, Right. And, um, I think that as time progressed in my life, you know, I, I think that, um, I started seeing that there's behaviors and there's patterns that are continually going on in my life, right? I will be doing good for a while only to create destruction in my life. I will, um, do whatever I can to escape my feelings, whether that's going out and drinking and partying, you know, I mean, I, I when growing up. Um, I smoked pot a few times growing up and, um, you know, I think that one of the big things to note too, though, is that as I was going through all this stuff, I mean, my mother was very abusive with her words. You know, um, she said that she had kids to have servants. My dad said, uh, that he had kids cause he thought they were cute. You know, they had no plan for me. They had no dreams for me. They had no goals for me. I mean, I was kind of just, uh, you know, there for them, you know? And, um, I think that, Addiction really started, and I, I actually think it's passed down. If you look at the biblical realities around the sins of the father will visit the children under the third and fourth generation. And um, I venture to guess that there's certainly some sexaholism in my history. But as I was talking about, like everybody, everything has a story. And it all started, I think, back with my grandfather. And his father was a raging alcoholic you know, and, um, he used to, he, they were so poor, they didn't have the ability to have horses. So they would plow the fields, um, with the kids and, um, crazy abusive alcoholic. So my grandfather jumped in the military as soon as he could to just get out of there. He comes out of the military. He's a six pack in the morning, six pack at noon, six pack at night guy beats the crap out of the kids. I mean, the history of violence and abuse in my family is so long. And, um, you know, ultimately, Addiction exists because of unresolved feelings inside of ourselves that we have not worked through. Whether it's pornography, masturbation, whether it's food addiction, whether it's entertainment addiction, whether it's anything that we do to escape reality, whether it's disassociation disorder, all in my life I've come to find stems directly back to unresolved emotions that we may not even realize, you know? Well, dude... What you've already shared, Paul, is really, really significant and I think really, really vulnerable. And I'm imagining people – I'm kind of sitting here across from you yeah. and, and I'm kind of on the edge of my seat as you're talking. I, I imagine there's people kind of listening right now going, whoa, I don't normally experience people being that that real with what they're, what they're going through. For sure. But, so uh, – 
if I'm kind of putting myself in 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 the shoes of people right now, and 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 maybe some people who are going through addiction right now, I guess one of the thoughts that crosses my mind as you're speaking is like, what was your experience like? Because there's so much pain in your background. Oh yeah, you didn't want to address it. Yep. Running. What, like, what drove you to address it? Like, like, and, and, yeah. and like, how did yep. you get to the point where you're like, I got to deal with this. Um, and I'm going to be, cause that first step is, yep. is often the worst step. So, like it's exactly. the scariest thing, you know? So how did, how did that process work for you? So I was in a band, um, and we were working really hard and I started, you know, uh, there's this guy that I was in a band with, and it was really tough because he, um, I had so much dysfunction, right? And I would just create so much chaos in different relationships. And um, at that point, you know, I ended up um, walking away from the band and um, really, really hurt me because I love these guys I was making music with. And um, that was an epicenter moment where I became very suicidal again. Um, if this is about 2012 time, and I was on top of a building ready to kill myself with my the feet in the wind. The plan was done. I had no life left in me to live. And I just decided I'm going to take my life. This is it. And I remember being on top of that building. And I remember thinking to myself, I got 30 grand in my 401k. Mm. I can, I can take all that and blow it on therapy. And if it doesn't work, I can kill myself later. I mean, that's how crazy my thinking was at the time. And, um, I mean, that saved my life. And then, um, it was just that thought of like, well, um, I guess there might be one other option. Correct. Here. Yeah. That I, was it. And that began this this pathway of I want to live. Mm. And I, I don't know what I'm going to have to do or what I'm going to have to go through or whatever steps I'm going to take, but I want to live. And um, I, I want to have life abundantly because I grew up as a Christian, you know? I mean, I, I've been in church my whole life. And, um, you know, but it, it was like, you know, my mother was still, you know, beating me in the closets at church, man. You know what I mean? Like wow. craziness. Like we, I mean, I was so many stories of coming home from church. I remember this one, this is crazy. My, um, so my mom, you know, got really angry for whatever reason. You never know what would set her off, but she's driving the car at about 90 miles an hour. And, um, around turns, she'd be going 25 around, you know, that's what the yeah. speed limit was anyway. And um, my dad was literally leg over into the into the driver's seat trying to push on the brake while she's pushing on the grass while they're fighting for control of the vehicle. I mean, like, that type of stuff was norm to me. Wow. I mean, I literally remember turning around and looking at my sister and going, we're going to die. This is it. Yeah. And I love you, mm. you know? And somehow we made it out of it. I mean, by the grace of God. But, like, stories like that were pretty normal. I mean, everyday, everyday life, like... And I, I think that for me, I came to the conclusion that that is not normal. You know, it took me many years to get there. Like, this is not what normal people do. Right. This is not normal life. Well, well uh, I, one of the, I mean, I, I have a million questions going yeah. through my mind right now. And one of them is how, like most people, I think, if they were in your shoes yeah, and they had experienced kind of a, a church upbringing yep. that, that looked like that, they would run as far away from that as possible. Yeah. Like what, what yep. kept you connected to say, I, I'm, I'm gonna like separate that from the abuse. Yeah. I think that it's the, it's the unbelievable un, like prevailing grace of God. I mean, I look back in my life and I can see all the people God put in my life that loved me, right. That loved me unconditionally. 
that stood in the gap and kind of became my new parents. You know, I mean, I got so many second moms. It's ridiculous. Right. Mm. Um, you know, I mean, I think, I think that like being on top of that building and then deciding to live, you know, and, and not knowing what I was going to have to do, you know, right. Just started to tell the truth and like started to realize that. And then, um, so I dropped that, um, you know, that amount of money on intensives with a local therapist over here named Chris Charlton, um, who's in Penfield, who is the man, <laughs> one of the greatest spiritual men I've ever met in my life by far. And, um, I, I began working through that, you know, and then, um, I, um, you know, as most people do, I went to celebrate recovery for my little sister, you know, because she, she needed this, but I didn't. Right. Mm -hmm. That's most of the transition is like, Oh, I got to take this person over here. And, um, I just never left. I think Browncroft has become the church family I never had. My celebrate recovery family is my forever family. These people are my mentors and my guides through life. And, um, you know, working this celebrate recovery program has completely healed my life. Wow. Completely restored my relationship with my parents. I'm now married. Like you want to talk about miraculous, man, like that. I, I just think that there's a lot in just showing up. You know, yep. like it doesn't take much if you just show up and decide like, hey, I got these challenges in my life. I don't know where to deal with them. I feel scared that if I share these in church settings, I'm going to be judged and criticized and somebody's going to give me the five step Jesus plan and sprinkle a little <laughs> verse on top. Right. You know, and people yeah. do that. And, it, and it's like um, I'd had plenty of that in my life. I mean, I'd had pastors tell me, you just need to get over your past. You know, just, just get over it, dude. Mm. And I'm like, you mean when my mom was burning my hand in the stove and beating my sister with a fire poker, I'm just, we're just supposed mm. to throw some Jesus on top of that. Yeah. Right. And, um, what I come to learn is that, yes, you do need, you certainly do need the creator of the universe, Jesus Christ to work through these things. But in James, where it says, confess your sins one into another, and I will heal you and give you rest. Right. That most Christians, in my opinion, I've seen them translate that into this language, such as confess your sins one into another, have a bunch of opinions, throw a little five step plan in there, throw some other verses on top. Right. Mm -hmm. That's not what the Bible says. Right. And so celebrate recovery kind of became that place for me where I could share my truth, never be judged, never be criticized, never break anonymity. I mean, like this is the first time I think I've publicly gone public with anything other than my testimony at CR. Um, and we've never had a break in anonymity in seven years. Wow. Right. And so for me, like deciding to live and then finding community where I'm not looked at weird on a Sunday morning and where I'm not judged and I'm just loved for the very one I am. Right. That, wow. that is the most priceless thing I've ever found in my life. And, um, as I continued through that journey, you know, um, I, I came to find, um, such unbelievable people that I'm walking life with, man. Like I, I got people and it's crazy is there's people that are multimillionaires that are in CR over here. Yeah. There's people that are coming off the street. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've seen God just grow us, man. I've mm -hmm. seen divorce paper signed. The marriage is done. Mm -hmm. It's over, over God heal it. I've seen heroin addicts and alcoholics and like, and I've also seen people that are just having marriage problems and don't know how to um, deal with these challenges. Like just as much as it's for like the crazy things that I've been through in my life, mm -hmm. I want to say it's just as much for like working through emotional and marital challenges and working through 
challenges with other people. Like we have multiple different groups, one for addictions. We have what's called a mixed group to deal with codependency. Like, you know, how do you deal with other people that are addicted in your life? Um, such as, you know, you know, people that sons were addicted to opiates and all sure. that, that we were talking about earlier. Um, but yeah, I, I just, th I think it comes down to how do you overcome that shame of telling the truth? Mm. Now, was there a point for you where you were like, okay, like this is scary as anything to me, but here's like, can you remember a moment where you were like, okay, here it is. I'm, I'm letting it out there. Kind yep. of like, you know, I've been in situations like that. It kind of feels like you're on the high dive when you're a kid, exactly. you know, and you're like, I don't know if I'm going to make it out of this. Yep. This seems really scary. Was there a point for you where you were like, okay, I gotta, I gotta be out there with this. I, th I, yeah, I think it was, I think it was, you know, just, um, I think that was my third suicide attempt, man, on top of that building. Like, I think that that, that really was the catalyst, um, where I just said, man, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know who I'm going to have to find. I don't know what I'm going to have to find, but I'm going to figure this out and I'm going to get free. And, um, and then I, I think that certainly like getting into celebrate recovery and then starting to see these people. Cause like, I, I just think the beauty of that ministry is you see yourself in other people. Oh, here's myself over here. Here's myself over here. And this person over here on the, on the left and on the right. Oh, wait, like you start hearing other people's stories and you start realizing that all these things that we call addiction and we put a lot of nice labels on are really just the human condition. It's just what all of us go through because we are in a fallen world, right? I think about some of the greatest men in the Bible. I'll take David, for example, right? Dude's a sex addict, man. Rapes his best friend's wife and then has him killed on the front line. And then what does his son do? Because David never dealt with his sex addiction. Has like 800 wives, right? And goes out and writes Ecclesiastes and like lives this crazy, like practically satanic life for a while. And like, I think that it's because we people didn't have the tools to be able to deal with this stuff. Like this is a funny analogy, but I make it a lot. It's like trying to cut down a tree with a wrench. Mm. You're not going to do that. Well, man, yeah. if you're out there smashing a tree with a wrench, it's gonna take, you'll probably get there, but it's going to take a long time, you know? And I think that that is, um, that's part of it is like finding a place where you can have the right tools. So I guess what I'm curious with you yeah. is I can imagine our listeners. So whether someone's de-churched, like yeah. they're done with church, whether they're unchurched or whether they're in church, you know, they're kind of looking at this conversation and there's two things. Number one, I've never experienced a church like that or Christians like that where yeah. it's open. But then number two, I, I think... How do you address someone that probably has an addiction, but they're like, oh, I'm not Paul. Oh, yeah. I, I, I'm not Paul. For sure. Like, because I can imagine all of our listeners, you know, at the end of the day, you know, the James verse about confession, our sins, like John and I, we probably could tell you there's something that we're addicted to. And, but I think most people to get to that point of like, this is actually a problem in my life. I mean, how yeah. do you respond to that? Yeah. I mean, I, I have a very extreme story and like, I, I think that the, the big part of it is like everyone's story is their story. And in God's eyes, it's just as valid. Mm. Right. And 
I totally agree with you that like people could listen to this and think to themselves like, whoa, I'm not this guy. Right. Mm. And thank God you're not. Right. I totally agree with that. I, I think that, um, I think that it comes down to the fact that growing through these things is done in community. If you do not have community and you're isolating, you cannot change your thinking with your thinking. Mm. You just can't do it. You need people that have gone down this road before that are, um, already on the path to recovery. And I, I think that, um, I think that there's, there's a lot of, you know, to me, I see addiction as, you know, my, my dream of my life to have a small part, like one small iota of a part in this mission that people will begin to look at this stuff as somebody, just like they look at somebody with a broken bone. Mm. You have a broken bone, you go to the doctor, you get it fixed. You have a broken soul. You go to celebrate recovery or whatever community you need to get to or psychologist, therapist, and you get it fixed. Right. And like, I think that, um, if somebody, you know, hears this and is, is like, um, like, man, I might have something in my life. I might not, I don't know. And they start thinking about that. I think that the big, the big goal is to find people you can trust that you can talk about it with. And this may not be, it's maybe your small group. People may not be, I don't know. But it's people that you know will never judge, criticize you, or shame you or give you advice. And so I find that, found that in Celebrate Recovery, right? But it's a, it's a lot about a community, is how you start seeing these things and then working through them. You know, um, I guess I'm thinking, too, that there's people in our audience that are dealing with someone that's addicted. And, yeah. and yeah. you know, there's there's quite the chasm. So there's immediately we're going to write you off and we know that there's positive yep. and right ways to do and wrong ways, or I'm going to give you as much room as you need. And there's positive and negative ways for that. You just kind of gave a little bit of advice, but I think for our listeners, it'd be super helpful to have some practical ticks or uh, tips. Yep. What do I do when someone's addicted in my life? How should I posture myself? Be ready for that. Well, I think the big thing is, I mean, this is a really hard question because I, I know I got a lot, of, it breaks my heart, man. I got a lot of guys that are, are going through this right now, um, one in particular with his son. And um, I think that the, the, the big thing is the willingness to explore, you know, the willingness to go out and say, okay, let's take alcoholism. I know somebody who's an alcoholic and they need help. Um, I think with a big, a big step that you could take personally is going to an AA meeting and then starting to understand that terminology and stuff like that so that then you can get them to the place that they, where they can find help. You know, um, I think that, um, I think that the other problem is that like, what is actual help, right? Giving a drunk a drink is not help. Mm -hmm. Giving somebody that's an alcoholic money is not help. Right. Um, I think it's it's some of the hardest things I mean I, I've ever seen in my life is my friends uh, go through this stuff with their family members. Man, it really tears me up because it's like they're such great people, you know. And um, addiction can strike anywhere. I, I I think that setting strong boundaries is really important. Um, what what are some examples of that? Because yeah, because you know, I John and totally. I are kind of similar. And whenever I feel like I'm putting a realistic boundary, I feel like I'm just the hugest jerk. Yep. And so, <laughs> yep. you yeah. know, but, but yeah, give us and some examples. And you may, yeah. man, like yeah. I, I mean, I know people that have like 
allowed their child to go out on the street, right? And be homeless, right? And I mean, like, that sounds crazy, but like, unfortunately, um, if somebody does not want to change, you can't change them. Mm -hmm. They've got to want to change. There is no, like, I've seen people go down that road and liquidate entire 401ks and all their money, their hard time. I've seen it, right? Trying to save a family member. And it, from what I've come to understand is that you're preventing people from reaching their bottom through supporting them. And um, that then uh, obviously hurts the relationship a lot because... You know, you want to be a giver, man, and you want you want to see people do well, you know? And I, I think that if people aren't taking the steps to help themselves, you cannot help them. If somebody's got an addiction and they're not taking this, okay, I'm going to get into therapy and understand what's going on. I'm going to start going to AA, you know, use alcoholism, or yeah. we could use opioids as an example. I'm getting into Narcotics Anonymous. I'm going, if people aren't taking those steps, there's no amount of control. There's no amount of... uh of ideas they're like they have to want it for themselves and see the destruction that they're doing to their family and to their friends. And like, I, I think that a lot of prayer, man, a lot of prayer and being willing to war in the spirit for that person. And, um, I think that there's certainly an, another factor around getting educated, you know, reading, reading boundaries by Henry cloud, reading, um, Reading these books, um, like The Family by jo um, John Bradshaw, um, gaining wisdom around how, like, what what could I do, right? Mm. Because I just, it, and it's a scary thing, man. It's a scary thing because ultimately one, that addiction, once it ha addiction has control over somebody, it usurps the authority of God in their life because now they, they're worshiping this other thing. I, I really see addiction as worship disorder where you're worshiping the created instead of the creator. And um, I think that some practical advice would be to not judge and criticize people that are going through this and to recognize that it's not them. Th this person that's addicted is not um, the person that you once knew. Mm. They're under control of a substance or something else. You see what I'm saying? And so, like, that's the part where, like, loving the sinner and hating the sin comes in, where it's like, you can, you can pray against these things, but, like, having grace for that person, because they're one of God's children, you know, and they're just, they're just lost in this thing. Um, I think that the other thing that's, that's really important like, is going back to community, man, because people that have people in their family that are addicted— they need to get in community just as much as that person does. Because you could develop codependency. You could develop all these different things that will hurt you too. Go ahead and John. Yeah, no, I, I just, I, uh, as we kind of head toward the end of the discussion here, Paul, I, I wonder, there's probably some people listening right now who are in the same spot that you were in, yeah. really desperate, and they haven't gotten help yet. If you could time travel back to 2012 up on top of that building yep. and tell Paul in that moment, like a piece of wisdom, yep. what would you tell Paul in that moment if you could go back to that, that time? 
I would tell him that he, he's loved and that there's a future for him and there's hope and there's freedom. And um, there is nothing that's been done in this life that can't be redeemed. You know, as we're wrapping up here, um, I'm talking, I want to talk about some of the greatest achievements of my life. Um, I think the greatest achievement of my life is forgiving my parents. Forgave my parents um, last year at uh, uh, an event called the Band of Brothers Boot Camp, which is an amazing ministry, happens all over the country. But um, forgave my parents there for the first time in my life. Like when I really understood that they had a story and they only had the tools, which what they had to deal with it. Going back to, you're not going to chop down a tree with a wrench, right? And so if you don't have the right tools to be able to deal with the challenges that life has brought you, you're going to do the best that you can. And so I released them, right? And then fast forward a little bit, you know, and this is talking about there's hope. There's a, there's a redemption story in your life. There is no place you can get to that God cannot redeem you from. That is an absolute fact, right? So a few months ago, um, I'm getting married, you know, and um, before the, about two months before I get married in June of this year, my wife says to me, Paul, I want to dance with my father at the wedding, right? She says, it's going to be really awkward if you don't dance with your mother, right? To which I replied, there's no way I'm dancing with my, it's not going to happen. The woman that beat me every day to the point where I wake up blind and go to bed blind every night, not going to happen. Right. And she understood enough to say, okay, well then I'm praying to the Lord one day, about a month later. And he says to me, Paul, 20 years from now, you want to see as a, be seen as a little boy or as a man, right? You want your kids, who do you want your kids to see? Right. And so on my wedding day, I took my mother out there and I danced with her and I honored her and I cherished her. And she said to me, she goes, Paul, you know, I've always loved you. I said, I know mom, you just didn't have the tools to deal with these situations that happened in your life. And, um, so God has restored my mother to me. Right. And, um, then, uh, recently at another band of brothers boot camp, I just came back from a couple of days ago, I brought my father and God restored my father to me. Wow. Well, first time in my life, I'm 35 years old. I have a relationship with my dad. Wow. And, um, I, I just want to share that hope because like we can get so focused on what our situation is. And, f and we can forget that the very one that breathes the stars into existence, the very one that holds us all things together, right? The very one true living God that has built galaxies beyond our, our even knowledge, right? NASA's finding new stuff all the time. That same God loves us unconditionally and stands in the gap for our life. Wow. And so hope is a decision. It's a decision to say that, I am going to transcend whatever is in front of me. And I, I would say never give up, never surrender, never give in, because there is a way out. And if you need community, you can find it here at Brown Cross Celebrate Recovery. If you're not from this, this region, you can walk into a Celebrate Recovery anywhere in the country, and you'll find a few, couple things. You'll be loved unconditionally, no matter what you're going through. You'll find wisdom and you'll find people to partner with to walk through the suffering of life. Because ultimately, I believe all of life is suffering. There's always calamity going on in life, right? Somebody just got cancer, this person, that person, car accident, whatever, right? But God is sovereign over all of it, right? And he's taught me that if I submit to him and if I surrender my life to his will, there's nothing he can't redeem, man. Nothing. Wow. Wow. I I don't quite know 
if there's anything else to say, just, I mean, we could go another half hour, but just, I mean, just that story you just shared is, um, it's such a vision of the gospel and it's such a vision of what Jesus has done for us that, you know, we're enemies of his and then he dances with us, Yeah, you know? So we like to close the show with one final question. I'd be remiss to say this. So we understand that not all of our listeners are from the Rochester area. If you are in the Rochester area, Celebrate Recovery happens at Browncroft, 7 p.m. Tuesday nights. So just want to throw that out there. But Paul, we close every uh, show with a question of what would Jesus have to say about this topic and what would he do? And I think your last few words uh, did that for us. So the way we do this is John um, and myself are going to answer that question and then you're going to pick up the pieces from whatever we mess up. (laughs) Come on, man. You guys guys are on top of it. Come on, man. So, John, uh, you know, as we close the episode, what are your thoughts? Man, I mean, so much richness there, Paul. I mean, uh, yeah, like Peter said, we easily go another half hour on this. But as I think about how Jesus would interact with us about this, some of the things that you're saying, just, I mean, Jesus' own words, that you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Um, I think that, that that is what Jesus would say to, to people who are in the midst of addiction. It's not about ignoring the truth. It's actually about leaning into the truth. And in reality, Jesus is the full embodiment of that truth. And he invites us to that relationship with him. He's the ultimate example of that community that you're describing, of of someone who will accept you unconditionally, who knows all the brokenness of your life and yet loves you still. And um, I think that's what comes to my mind as I hear you you share about that journey. Peter. I uh as Paul was talking, I was I was looking at First Peter five, and it says, "Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that He may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on Him, because He cares for you." And then this part: be alert and sober-minded. And um, I'm just I'm amazed at how how much God wants freedom for us more than we want it for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And you think about the process that the writer of Peter says, you know, to humble ourselves, to um, to cast all of our anxiety, and then it's sobriety. You know, there's yep. this whole process of it's not be sober on your own. It's realize what Jesus has done for you. Take that story, and then you can experience that. So, Paul, lead us home. Yeah, I think that, you know, in closing, I think that what Jesus teaches about exactly what you said, man, telling the truth is very hard for human beings to do. We like to have a lot of sugar and candy coat on that top. We like to dress it up nice. But I I think it comes down to all of recovery and growth in this space is just telling the truth and being willing to talk about the emotional realities behind it and how you're affected by whatever happened in your life. And um, I think Jesus would say um, that there's no condemnation in Christ. There's nothing to be ashamed of because Jesus loves us as we are, right? Because addictions or compulsions, regardless of what it is, it is not who you are, right? Even if you're not a believer, it's, that is not who you are. It's what you're doing and what you're finding your identity in 
because of the challenges that have happened in your life. And I, I think he would say there is hope and there is freedom and there is redemption. And he is, he is there for you. I, I think that he would say that, that he will never judge you or condemn you. And he, he would also say that he wants to surround you with people that could love you in ways you never experienced that so that you could grow into who you were meant to be. You know, I, I th- the big theme, man, is that what we do is not who we are. Just like Paul said, I do what I want to do. I do what I don't want to do, right? What we do is not who we are. It's understanding the inner reasons why we're doing that. And that's what Jesus comes right in and heals that, man. He sets you free. Wow, Paul, thank you so much for being here. Um, thank you guys so much. It's such an honor to be here. And I'm so proud to be a part of a church that prioritizes these types of things and talk, getting into the nitty gritty of life and like, understanding answers to such powerful questions. So I'm really humbled and honored to be here. Thank you for giving me the privilege to be here with you guys today. Yeah, we we love having you. And um, if you have any questions or you want to learn more or about the Why God Why podcast, you can go to whygodwhypodcast.com. Remember, sharing is caring. We are on social media, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And um, we're so thankful that you joined us today. And we hope you have a wonderful day.